on the table current and critical information for massage therapists in practice a podcast presented by massage therapy canada hello everyone and welcome back to on the table our subject today we will be discussing whether the costs and rules associated with regulation are too burdensome my co-host today is don dillon once again Don is a massage therapist, writer, speaker, and practice coach, and has contributed frequently to Massage Therapy Canada. Welcome back, Don. Thanks, Janet. As always, it's a great pleasure to be with you, and I think we've got a particularly interesting and perhaps controversial subject today for our uh, listeners, so I'll just go ahead and introduce our guest today, Ian Camp. Ian graduated from Sutherland Chan in 1997 and has been on the faculty there since 1998. He maintains a private practice on Carlton Street in Toronto and teaches continuing education courses for RMTs in Toronto as well as in warmer, sunnier locations in North and Central America. Ian, I want to welcome you to On the Table. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you, Janin. So, Ian, in your article that was published in Massage Therapy Canada's summer issue, for our listeners, a link is going to be provided in the resources section here. Your article, Are the Costs and Rules Associated with Regulatory Bodies Too Burdensome? You state we're stuck with the CMTO to retain insurance reimbursement for clients. But what if we're not, you ask? For instance, in half the country, treatment fees are reimbursed by insurers without the presence of a regulator. In your view, is the primary driver for regulation a financial one, so to allow practitioners to bill health benefit claims? No, I mean, it's a good question. No, uh, I wouldn't even say it's not primary. I wouldn't even say it's a secondary um, reason. It, uh, the regulation exists very much to protect the public, to um, uh, create standards of practice to enforce regulations uh, in accordance, you know, entry to practice examinations for the profession uh, and the complaints and discipline mechanism. All of those things are primary, secondary, whatever purposes of regulation. The um, It's almost like the, the insurance reimbursement um, issue is basically a uh, accidental side issue. Um, because, as you've just uh, restated, uh, in half the country, there is no regulatory body. In, and in those cases, insurance companies use professional associations uh, to as a benchmark for which receipts to reimburse. So when a province regulates massage therapy, insurance companies, and very um, understandably, understandably, insurance companies use membership in the regulatory body as their benchmark for which receipts they should reimburse. In the absence of a regulatory body, they have to look for something else. And uh, because uh, employers want to offer massage as a benefit, employees want to receive it. So insurers uh, come up with a workaround, which is, say, in the absence of a regulator, let's use membership in a professional association instead. The reason I said we're stuck with the CMTO is once you've got that, once you've got regulation in place, the the mindset is, uh, in the profession anyway, oh, well, we've got no choice. We now must stay with the CMTO because if we if a, if an RMT ceases to be a member of the uh, CMTO, then they're no longer allowed to use the t- to protect the title RMT, then also their clients won't get reimbursed by insurance. And, you know, I don't know, I haven't got a statistic, uh, an official statistic, but let's say 80% 
in my case, 80% of my clients rely on insurance reimbursement to cover some or all of my fee. So if I no longer could offer that to my clients, uh, my my business would uh, evaporate overnight. Right. So regarding these insurers, um, later in your article, you state, and I quote, how would you respond if an insurance company required an annual fee for registration with them, but dropped the requirement for registration with a provincial regulatory body? So what are you suggesting here as a possible relationship between practitioners and insurance companies? I'm, I'm going to chicken out slightly and say that I don't necessarily want to suggest what that relationship should be. I want, I, But I want RMTs to ask ourselves what we want it to be. Because uh, I suspect at one point in the future, some point in the future, this question might come to us. We might find ourselves... Um, having this conversation and and I don't think we're we're ready for it. I don't think we're prepared uh for it. So um I I mean I could what what do I want that relationship to be? I or what what am I suggesting it could be? Um it's already happening in fact. Uh, the that well, changes changes to the relationship with insurance companies uh are already happening in fact. And we're just not talking as a profession, we're not talking about how we want to respond to that. You know, I'll tie in with uh, a question that's sort of along the same line, and maybe you can elaborate a bit, but uh, further in your article, you had stated, quote, I'm not about to argue against regulation. I just want us to be clear why we might want to be regulated when clearly it's a choice, not a necessity, unquote. And uh, you further state, again, quote, I actually do want regulation for our profession, I see so much disaffection with the way regulation is trending in Ontario that I worry we're opening the door for insurance companies to rewrite the relationships, end quote. So I'm wondering if we could just flesh this out a little bit further. It sounds like you're inferring, uh, you're noticing the interactions that are happening between massage therapists and insurance companies. You're identifying there's a disaffection with the way regulation is being handled in Ontario. Can you just maybe flesh out for us a a little bit more from your perspective how insurance yeah. companies may define or uh, define the relationship uh, or, or define the way that massage therapists practice going forward. Okay, so what we're, we've already seen uh, is, for example, Sun Life has created profiles, online profiles for every massage therapist, and I think it's every massage therapist in the country, certainly in Ontario, and They've invited massage therapists to contribute to those profiles. Some of us have, some haven't. Uh, some massage therapists have embraced this. I, I had a client come to see me uh, last week. Uh, I mean, I've had many now, but you know, just a, just as recently as last week, a client came to see me because they found me through my Sun Life profile. So this is a new thing that didn't exist even a few years ago. Um, insurance companies interacting directly with massage therapists to create business. Uh, now, some massage therapists are not going to be happy with this. Uh, in conversations I've had, uh, there's been some pushback from some massage therapists because they're nervous about getting too cozy with insurance companies. Sometimes that's because they've had a bad experience with an insurance company, either professionally or personally. Other times it could be they just don't know. They don't know whether this is the right thing to be doing. And 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 
I, you know, I think this is great if we're going to have this conversation right now because I think there are a lot of RMTs who want to know how should I respond, how should I react, what is, what are my colleagues thinking about this idea that an insurance company is directly soliciting me to create an online presence within their own um, company's portal. That's on one level. On another level, we can talk about what happened with GreenShield talking to its clients, people who have benefit packages with GreenShield, about whether massage therapy was worth it or not. They were attempting to create a conversation, in this case, not with massage therapists, but with users of massage therapy to say, do you really want massage therapy in your benefits package? So these kinds of conversations that are, uh, and they're not involving the CMTO, they're barely involving the uh, professional association, the RMTAO in Ontario. These conversations are already happening and we need to, I think we need to be talking more about, about uh, how do we as a profession feel about them. And just to over, overlay that with what you also said in your question, yes, I think there's an undercurrent of dissatisfaction going on within the profession, in Ontario at least anyway. And if you've got an undercurrent of dissatisfaction with the regulatory body and parallel to that, um, new conversations happening directly with insurance companies, well, I don't know, what's, what's going to come from that? That's what I want to uh, have people talk about. And, you know, I, I really appreciate you bringing attention to this relationship because I was involved a number of years ago when the massage therapist represented the Massage Therapy Association in talks with auto insurers. And it was clear that auto insurers wanted to go for a preferred provider list. They wanted a, mm -hmm. a narrow yep. number of providers that they could work with, some p p practitioners that they could count on being efficient and cost effective. They really didn't want to open it up to all practitioners. They wanted to have a preferred provider list. And this Sun Life uh, uh, situation that you've drawn attention to, I think it's another example of how insurers are trying to influence how their, uh, their uh, people that they sell uh, products to utilize massage therapy and who and, and which massage therapist they utilize. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you brought yeah. attention to this and the, the Thank, fact that, uh, you're very welcome and I think you're dead right Don uh, yeah. it's something we need to be talking about yes yes and and as you mentioned I mean despite the sense of regulation giving a sense of safety uh, there are other influences that are imposing in on the profession and if we're not talking about them then of course we're subject to their their influence uh, uh, while not knowing it but let's let's bring right. some of the let's bring some of the discussion back to the dis disaffection, uh, and we certainly have seen that tension with the regulatory body the last number of years, especially with the rate increase last year and some of the some of the regulations that seem uh, more imposing. You uh, you mentioned that um, that you that massage therapists should become more involved politically. They should seek position on the regulatory council and help to influence policy. And you also, in your article, openly warn regulators that technology creates opportunities for practitioner-to-practitioner -practitioner communication, but also interaction with insurance companies that hasn't previously existed. So just to add on to what you've already mentioned, what are you warning the regulators here in terms of their ability to influence massage therapists and those other influences out there that might be having an effect on day-to-day -day practice? 
I mean, so, uh, traditionally, if two RMTs wanted to talk to each other, I mean, th the fact that we're having this conversation on the podcast and other RMTs will listen to it is is um, exactly what I'm trying to raise awareness around for regulatory bodies. That traditionally, if two RMTs or more two RMTs or more wanted to talk to each other, um, they they were limited to either. Uh, sitting down together face to face, perhaps in in some kind of social setting, or at an annual conference, for example, a professional association annual conference, and listening to a lecture and and participating in discussion. Uh, communication traditionally has been very top down from some sort of hierarchy, people in positions of power and authority and hierarchy, talking uh, in a um, in a linear downward direction to the people beneath them. But what we now have is an unprecedented amount of peer-to-peer -peer communication that um, is very new. So right now, as we are speaking, someone, some RMT somewhere in the country is participating in an online discussion on a, let's say, on the RMTAO Facebook page, for example, or on one of the other many um, uh, discussion groups on social media platforms like Facebook and others. And, and uh, hundreds of RMTs can chime in and do frequently chime in. If you look at the conversation th threads there, um, there are some people that are extremely active. There are other people that are very much passive and just reading the comments uh, and other people that chime in from time to time. This level of communication between RMTs, let alone with insurance companies, but just between RMTs alone, has never happened before. And uh, as a result, when uh, a regulatory body or even a professional association does something that is not popular with the membership, uh, the conversation might happen without the regulator being aware that the conversation is even going on. So, uh, if, if I'm going to use the, if we, you, you asked in the question, what am I warning the regulators about? I, I, I think warning is perhaps a little, I don't know, maybe I'm being uh, uh, backtracking a bit, but I, I, I want the regulator to realize, regulators in general, to realize that. Um, RMTs are no longer going to sit back and passively take information handed down to them. They're, we're in some senses, in a conversation I had last night online, we're, we're attempting to create policy ourselves almost, which is what it should be if you think about it. This is self-regulation after all. <laughs> this, we, as massage therapists, we are self-regulated. We sit on, we elect members, uh, we elect other RMTs to sit on the governing council and decisions, the major decisions, have to come from that governing council. Um, but it, it, we've gone from um, a half dozen RMTs sitting on a governing council signing off on, on decisions to hundreds and hundreds of RMTs simultaneously talking to each other about where we think we should go. And I don't think um, the, the governing councils and I don't think the administration of some of the regulatory bodies have, have woken up to that reality yet or addressed it. So, Ian, regarding regulation here, it appears that a main point of contention among RMTs uh, are the rising fees. So, for instance, jumping nearly 30% in 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, what accounts for this fee increase as you understand it, and what is the impact to the general public? So, for instance, uh, 
The rising yeah. regulation fees may reflect rising costs for RMTs in practice, therefore affecting access to massage therapy by the general public. Okay, I'm going to go backwards with this one, answer the second half first, perhaps. But the um, the 30% increase is uh, a significant um, increase because of the percentage rather than because of the dollar values, in my opinion. The, I don't believe there were any RMTs that needed to increase fees to their clients as a result of uh, a couple of hundred dollars worth of increase in the registration fee. But I do think that the the message that the regulator sends by increasing, in this case, the CMTO, by increasing reg, uh, registration fees by 30 uh, some percent um, is is uh, a bit tricky here. So the CMTO came up with a rationale for the fee increase um, last year and created a, a, a five bullet points as to why they wanted to uh, four bullet points is why they wanted to increase the fees. The, the first one was that um, the size of the registration base had increased by more than 40% since the last major fee increase. The fee increases have been going along in line, lockstep with increases in inflation, but the, the, this, this rationale that they needed to increase fees because there were 40% more RMTs flies in the face of basic economic logic that if you've got 40% more RMTs, you've also got 40% more revenue. So there's no, I, I, I just don't buy this argument that we need more uh, more money per RMT because there are more RMTs. More RMTs, more RMTs just gives you more revenue in, in general. So the second point they say is that the number and complexity of investigations and discipline hearings has increased. Fair enough, but if you've got more RMTs funding that process, again, why do you need more money? So, well, if, if it's the if it's not the number because the number doesn't make any sense, but if the complexity is fair enough, that that's about their only valid point because they then go on in that same bullet point to say that the volume of investigations has increased by thirty percent. So, in the same period um, that they're talking about a forty percent increase in RMTs, complaints have only gone up by thirty percent. In other words, complaints are going up more slowly than the number of RMTs is increasing. So again, I don't understand why they need more money. Um, they've talked about uh, meeting legislative, uh, so the third bullet, meeting legislative requirements and public expectation requires new resources. I'm reading from their own press release here. So they've got to redesign the quality assurance program, and we're still waiting on that, by the way, a year and a half later. Uh, they've got to... Um, uh, develop new uh, technology or invest in new technology. Fine, all of those points are valid, but to me, that strikes me as one-off expenses. So I live in a condo, and if my condo has a one-off expense, they don't increase my annual fee. They levy a surcharge one time. So if they've got to invest in new technology as a one-time thing, then, then instead of permanently baking in a fee increase, why don't we... Uh, have a one-time uh, additional fee this year, you're going to have to pay an extra couple of hundred dollars to cover the cost, the one-time costs of new technology or um, redesigning the quality assurance program. Okay, and the fourth bullet point they have is that, uh, that they haven't increased their number of staff. 
and that they need to increase their number of staff. But again, that goes back to my very first point. If you've got 40% more RMTs contributing revenues, then you've got 40% more revenue. And so if you need to increase staff, you do that in line with the increase in the number of RMTs. So I, I don't think we have a valid rationale for the increase. I think we, as collectively, RMTs in Ontario just rolled over and said, oh gosh, well, okay, I've got to fork over an extra couple of hundred dollars. Um, I'm not happy about it, grumble, grumble, uh, but no one really did much of an analysis of the rationale for the increase. Uh, and, and so when, when the rationale doesn't seem to make sense, um, it might not create riots in the street, but it, it creates a level of um, disassociation or disaffectation with the CMTO from the membership. Um, and as I have said earlier, I don't think the actual dollar amount is the issue. It's the percentage in one year and the rationale, in my opinion, are just lacking. So despite half the provinces and all the territories being without self-regulation, the profession as a whole is still held accountable to public safety. So some in the media, and not necessarily massage, but some in the media are denouncing self-regulation as self-serving and are pushing for uh, umbrella government oversight. So the examples that come up uh, most recently in the news are chiropractic and naturopathic. Uh, where does your opinion lie with this notion? Uh uh, it's a great question. I, I, I too, and I know Don has been following this um, uh, because you just had a, a piece written uh, about this, Don, uh, and I really enjoyed uh, reading your fabulous summary, in fact, of what's going on across the country and in different sectors. Uh, and I, I, I don't mind the idea of us revisiting what regulation should look like. I said in my article, I've said it, I said it in my presentation to Sullivan Channel alumni. Um, I, I firmly believe we should have regulation for massage therapy. I really do. It doesn't mean from time to time we can't revisit is it being done in the best possible way. Uh, you know, we, I think we are also in a wait and see to see what uh, uh, we've got a new provincial government in Ontario. Who knows what they might want to weigh in uh, as a way to, to, uh, to change regulation. But re regulation doesn't really cost very much. It's incredibly cost effective because it's self-regulation because um, we're not um, we're not chewing up um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money to do this we're self-funding it so I think it's a relatively efficient thing to do because it's self-funded because it's self-governed uh, the government bill for regulation is limited to the non RMT members on council pretty much I don't think that that it costs uh, taxpayers very much more um, while I have some complaints with the way that the CMTO is being run, and while chiropractors are having their issues uh, as well currently, and while things are going on out in BC, I don't think that's a reason to um, to dismantle the entire um, uh, uh, process. And in, and in fact, I would love it if we could get regulation in more provinces. I think the profession benefits hugely when we are regulated uh, in, a, in a province or in a jurisdiction. And the, the more provinces we can get regulated, the faster, the better, in my opinion. Ian, I attended your presentation at Sutherland Chan in February this year, where your topic was the future of massage therapy in Ontario. 
Your lecture focused on the history of regulation and moving forward if self-regulation still served the profession. Your lecture was very well attended. In fact, the room was full. I had to sit way at the back. <laughs> and uh, you shared your, <laughs> you. Uh, your you shared your frustrations with some actions of the regulatory body, which we've already talked about in this podcast as well. And you posed the question to the audience: Do RMTs still want to be self-regulated? And uh, I just for the for those that didn't attend, I'll bring in a few details. I appreciated your analysis of the and painstaking review of the CMTO disciplinary decisions over the past eight years. Mm -hmm. And you had pointed out the concurrent relationships where uh, a therapist was dating their client or patient presented clearly as uptrending as a problem, as with the rise of inappropriate touch and insurance fraud. And you reported that while inappropriate touch is largely committed by male RMTs, 55% of insurance fraud was committed by female RMTs. So given the analysis you presented that night, what, what kind of discussions would you like your analysis to generate in the profession? Okay, thank you. That's a, I, I, I'm thrilled to talk about this <laughs> because you're right. I spent hours uh, combing through the discipline reports. I, I think um, uh, first thing to point out is the CMPO often talks about uh, numbers of complaints and trends. And part of their justification for the fee increase, I think, was along the lines of trends in uh, complaints. The the problem for me is that it's very hard for me as a uh, outside observer here to analyze what's happening in complaints. It's a lot easier for me to analyze dis discipline decisions because they get published in detail and then we can analyze them and we can quantify uh, what was this um, discipline decision about. So some complaints never end up and uh, many complaints don't go as far as a disciplined decision. So for those, we are, um, and because confidentiality might need to be protected, we, we're often in the dark about what's going on with complaints. So I, I want to first start by saying I'm talking very much about disciplined decisions because we they're public record and we can quantify them and I can put them on a spreadsheet. As regards to um, concurrent relationships, I think that was a temporary blip. So if we look back, and my analysis was over the last eight years, um, if we look back at concurrent relationships, um, they would bump along at one or two a year. In And this is Ontario I'm talking about. Uh, um, and then they suddenly um, was an uptick in 2018. And remember as well that discipline decisions are a year or two even after the original complaint. So uh, there's a time lag in the time it takes for a complaint to be investigated and a discipline decision to be um, enacted. There's a, a delay. So when, when I'm talking about a 2018 statistic, this is a complaint that started in 2017 or perhaps even as early as 2016. And I think the concurrent relationships thing will turn out to be a, a blip because we're now, uh, we have a great deal more clarity um, on the one hand, I want to thank the CMTO for giving us a great deal more clarity about the fact that RMTs in Ontario are not allowed to uh, give, have, have spouses as clients. Um, so and that's been widely heard and received by RMTs in Ontario. I hear this over and over and over that they've received that message loud and clear. Um, Though, so I, I don't think the concurrent relationships issue is going to continue because I think most RMTs have said to their spouses, uh, honey, I can't massage you as a patient anymore. Uh, the, the, as a side note here, I think we've got a problem because um, I don't think the CMTO has been terribly clear about can I still give my spouse a massage recreationally 
um, and uh, not bill insurance. Is that still allowed or is that not? And that seems to be very unclear wording in the standard, in my opinion. I think we, we need a great deal more clarification because when I ask RMTs that question, I get two or three different answers depending on who I'm asking. Even when I asked the CMTO, I got confusing responses to that. Anyway, um, let me talk about insurance fraud for a second. The um, insurance fraud has completely outscored inappropriate touch and sexual abuse in the discipline statistics year after year after year. And yet we hear nothing from the CMTO about insurance fraud and about what they want to do to combat it. The CMTO has talked at great length about inappropriate touch. We need to eradicate it. We need to get it down to as low a possible level as possible. That's great. Yes, I agree 100%. But what about insurance fraud? It's the elephant in the living room. If you look at the statistics, it shows up at, um, you know, in the eight to 10 to 12 cases a year, year after year in discipline decisions. Um, and as a percentage, something like um, half the discipline decisions that relate to insurance fraud. And yet we've got no initiatives coming out of the CMTO about that. This is something I would like us to be talking more about. Goes back to my earlier comments that insurance companies seem to be wanting to create new conversations and relationships with us. And insurance fraud is a big deal for them. So why are we as a profession not uh, talking about it in, uh, in ways to clamp down on that? Uh, and I think there's ways we could we could do that. We could have that conversation. So if we talk about inappropriate touch, which is what the CMTO wants to talk about, well, those numbers are, um, well, anything above zero is too high, but uh, those numbers are um, uh, low, relatively speaking, less than one, I think it's less than half of 1% of RMTs will be involved in some kind of, less than three quarters of 1% of, of RMTs will be involved in some form of discipline decision. And um, and a, only a percentage of that, again, is, is inappropriate touch. So um, we, I think... <laughs> I think we, we need to do more uh, conversations uh, and more analysis of if there are trends in both complaints and eventual discipline decisions, what are we doing? Are we putting the right resources in the right places to address those trends? So Ian, I'm just going to touch on, on a December 2017 interview with CTV News where you protested the consent forms related to the treatment of sensitive areas. So you express. Well, that's a perfect. Uh, sorry, I'm cutting you off. That's a perfect segue from what I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you did express a concern for damaging the client-practitioner relationship. That trust is essential to the professional relationship, and the consent forms would impair that trust. So prior to this interview, in a letter to Lisa Tucker, president of Ontario's regulatory body. You stated, and I quote, mandating that RMTs gain written consent to treat certain areas of the body reinforces the stereotype that we have worked so hard for decades to change. That massage is inherently sexual unless we state in advance that it isn't. That's a horrible message to be sending the public in 2017, end quote. You posted this letter on social media inviting RMTs to write in of their own concerns. You end your letter asking for the regulator to reverse its policy on mandatory written consent for sensitive areas. Can you tell us a little bit more about your perspective on this? Thank you. Yes, we absolutely need to decrease 
uh, inappropriate touch. Uh, so as, I guess as a bit of a uh, explanation, uh, often in massage we're talking about sexual abuse, and there are three components to sexual abuse. The, the form of sexual abuse that is most prevalent in massage is the inappropriate touch. So sometimes I'm going to be talking about an inappropriate touch. Sometimes I'm going to talk about sexual abuse. They're the same thing. Uh, it's one one of the headings, and it's the biggest heading underneath the uh, umbrella term of sexual abuse. We need to empower clients to speak up about inappropriate touch, and we need to empower our clients to report it. Um, because by reporting inappropriate touch, we can finally find out just how much of it is actually happening. It's probably being underreported. And if we can identify who's doing it, then we can remove them from the profession. What I find really interesting is that nowhere in the revised standards is there any obligation for an RMT to tell a client that the CMTO exists, or if you're in another province, that a regulatory body exists. There's no obligation for RMTs to tell clients that there's a complaints mechanism, that they can make a complaint. We should be mandating that RMTs tell clients that they can complain. They could complain about the massage they're about to get. They can complain about a massage they had before from someone else. They can complain about a massage they get in the future. But what the CMTO has done instead, instead of telling us as RMTs, educate your clients that the CMTO exists, that a regulatory body exists, that a complaints mechanism exists. Instead, we've gi we're giving uh, the client the impression that they're now uh, going to have uh, a harder time making a complaint. Because once they've signed uh, a special consent for um, written consent and signed it for consent to touch a sensitive area, the client may well say, oh, Something happened to that massage I didn't like, but there's no point complaining. I don't even know who to complain to, but if I did, there's no point complaining because the RMT now has, as a defense, they've got a signed written consent from me. And in some cases, that consent may have been signed over and over and over again at every single treatment. The RMT might have 10, 20, 30 copies of that signed consent for that client. So how many clients, so if we're going to eradicate inappropriate touch, we need to increase reporting of it. And and, and we haven't done anything to increase reporting. I, I believe what we've done in Ontario is put in a barrier that is going to, to, uh, to, to reporting. It's going to, a process that's going to decrease reporting of inappropriate touch. So if the CMTO turns around and says, oh, look, the consent form's working because we're, we're getting fewer complaints about inappropriate touch, then I think they've, what they've done is they've pushed it underground. They've hidden it from, uh, from our uh, public uh, view by discouraging clients from, uh, from complaining. You know, you know what I'd like to see? I would like to see every treatment room in the, in the province, in the country for that matter, but in the province of Ontario if we're talking about this, I'd like to see it be made mandatory that we have a poster on the wall that says that the CMTO exists, that if you are unhappy with this massage for any reason, and it could be um, other reasons, not just inappropriate touch, but if you're unhappy with this massage, here's who you call, here's who you contact. And if I'm going to have a client sign anything, it should be that the client confirms that I have pointed out that poster to them 
that I've told them that the CMTO exists. That's the kind of stuff that we should be uh, telling clients um, instead of this uh, this permission to touch them in areas that that they've been getting massage to their gluteals, to their pectorals for years, and all of a sudden we've sexualized them by saying that oh, you know they, these must be naughty areas because I need your consent to touch them now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a very eye-opening way of looking at it. I mean, I know there's RMTs out there that, uh, you know, if a patient didn't like um, something that a massage therapist did, rather than, you're right, rather than making a complaint, uh, because they might not know that the CMTO exists, they are more likely to just switch to another RMT, and then that RMT is the one hearing about it. Right, exactly. Now, in fairness, we do have a legal obligation. If one RMT hears about um, uh, uh, inappropriate behavior from another RMT or another health professional of any jurisdiction, we have a legal obligation to report that. But but that presupposes that we even hear about it in the first place. Right. Right. So uh, shutting down the conversation is not the way to do it, in my opinion. Ian, we've got a few minutes left in our time together, and we want to give it all to you. What parting thought? Or parting <laughs> oh, that's a, I love that. <laughs> do you uh, do you want to leave the massage therapy profession with? Oh gosh, um, I, I think uh, I think I really I, I've said this a few times. I apologize that I'm repeating myself, but I think it's worth doing. I really want us to be regulated uh, in the entire country. I think as a profession, we are stronger if we are regulated. So I don't want my criticism of regulation to sound like a disaffectation with the idea of regulation. I just want it to be done in the best possible way. Um, we, uh, we are self-governed. This means that RMTs sit on the regulatory body councils, and in even in unregulated provinces, professional associations, and um, right across the country, professional associations are uh, very much volunteer-run. So I, I know there are many RMTs who get involved with uh, their profession on a volunteer level or on a paid level uh, across the country. Um, I want to make sure that that's being maximized, especially in a regulatory environment where I think the the, te- the tendency is to sit back and say, well, these are government rules and I have to abide by them and I can grumble to my colleague, but I can't do anything about it. No, actually, you can do something about it. And I was hugely gratified by the number of people who responded to the CMTO in this case uh, in back in 2000. Uh, 17, I guess it was, with the, um, the, the the CMTO acknowledged that their response rate was off the charts for the changes to this the, the draping standard. Uh, I think we need to keep pushing. I don't think we've gotten where we need to be. And we need to remember to stay engaged. Um, and I, I'm, I'm always encouraging both my students and RMTs to do this, to, to speak up politely. Speak up politely and firmly um, uh, until the point gets heard. And this podcast is a great example of that. And and so I'd encourage anyone who listens to this 
if they either agree or even disagree with me, comment about it in a very polite and respectful way, please. Uh, but comment about it and um, and keep the conversation going. Thanks, Ian. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us in this enlightening discussion today, Ian. And uh, thank you again, Don, for being my wonderful co-host. Thanks, Janet. On the Table, Current and Critical Information for Massage Therapists in Practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Mm-hmm.